a very special guest on our show today, um, and I'd love to welcome Dan Mapes, uh, president and co-founder of Versus AI and the founder and director of the Spatial Web Foundation. Dan, thank you so much for being here with us today, and welcome to our show. Great. Uh, great to be here, Denise. Uh, great to see you again. Nice to see you. So, Dan, um, you guys are doing some amazing work. Uh, with Versus, with the Spatial Web Foundation. Um, you know, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what that looks like and what that means for the world of artificial intelligence, uh, how the Spatial Web kind of plays into that, and what makes it different than what we're seeing right now. No, happy, happy to uh, share some of those thoughts. What a lot of people are missing right now, um, and really has been since the smartphone came out, is the fundamental power of the internet itself. Uh, the internet uh, really began 50 years ago, uh, back in uh, 1969, 1970, with just four computers. Uh, by 1994, we were up to maybe 40 million computers, and that was enough to um, enable the World Wide Web to be able to be spread on it, um, and enough for Jeff Bezos to go, there's 40 million there's 40 million computers today, then it's going to go to 400 million, then it's going to go to 4 billion, and then it's going to go to 40 billion. Uh, I could probably make a business on here, and he started Amazon. And, um, and guess where we are today? We're at 40 billion computers plugged into wow. the internet, all from those four computers back in um, 1970. So this is a massive multi-trillion dollar uh, engineering project with fiber optic cables under the ocean carrying the internet and uh, satellites and giant server farms that we call cloud servers. This is a massive, the largest engineering project humanity has ever undertaken. It makes NASA look like a high school science project. I mean, the internet is massive. It's connecting all the cities, 5 billion of the humans all over the world. And so then in the early 90s, uh, really flowering in mid 90s, uh, was uh, Tim Berners-Lee began uh, this idea that, well, not if we've got an internet of uh, machines all talking to each other, that created email, maybe we've got enough speed on the network to create a, uh, a network of all our documents. And he thought that would increase scientific research uh, by doing that. So we invented HTTP and HTML, a couple of standards, and uh, 10 web pages in uh, 1993, 10 billion web pages today, all right. by everybody all over the world. Largest library ever assembled in history, available to everybody on their smart device or on their laptop or whatever, uh, immediately, globally. Wow. These are big, massive undertakings. And then, um, and then certainly um, uh, with the rise of the smartphone, I mean, this, uh, this device, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not smart and it's not a phone. It's not a smartphone. It's a uh, powerful uh, supercomputer. And uh, right. it's, been able to, it's been able to miniaturize the chip. So it fits in a very small box now. But that smartphone that I was just holding up, uh, the recent iPhone, uh, has more processing power than the most expensive computer in the world in 1995. And so um, the Cray-2 supercomputer in 1995 was $35 million. And there were only 150 yeah. of them in the world. The largest corporations had them. And so if you interviewed a futurist in 1995 and they said, well, what's 2020 going to be like? He said, well, we're going to give everybody a crate, you know, and then we're going to network all the crates together 
but every document that's ever existed in history, all online, so everybody has the full library of human knowledge. And we're gonna put every product that's ever been made ever and is being made right now into various kinds of e-commerce things. So you can just order them and have them delivered to your house overnight. We're gonna do all that. Yeah. People would have just looked at you like, yeah, yeah. Number one, you're crazy. The, the Cray computer is six feet wide and six feet tall. No way you're getting that into something like a phone, you know? Right. And, uh, that you could carry around in your pocket. And no way is that going to network to every other every every other device in the world. I mean, you know, it's so it just looks crazy. But that's the way uh, that uh, these uh, exponential technologies uh, emerge. And so, um, so really, we uh, we realized uh, that um, we've got uh, 25 years now of 2D web. They're web pages, hypertext, right. you know. Uh, transfer protocol. So hypertext focuses on text. Uh, and then we've got 25 years of 3D computer gaming over here where everybody's playing on Xboxes and Playstations because the internet can't handle 3D graphics at that point. But we realized that the speed of the networks were going to rise in such a way that, and the chips were going to get faster, that there would be a merging of 3D computer gaming and the internet in the early 2020s. And then we would need a 3D internet. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> you need a 3D internet, then you need a new 3D protocol because hypertext transfer protocol is about web pages. Hypertext markup language is about formatting a page and where your picture goes and what this hyperlink does and all this kind of thing. We would need a formatting language for the world. Where does this house go in this city? Where does this chair go in this house? All these kinds of formatting things the way you set up a computer game. They're called a, a scene graph. And so, um, so we realized we needed a whole new language, just like HTTP and HTML, uh, for a spatial web. And that uh, people could use all these game tools like Unity and Unreal and 3D modeling programs and everything else. And people are going to build Ready Player One, you know, uh, but it won't be from one company. It'll be millions of individuals, just like websites. So a good way to think about these things is they're 3D websites. Even a big game is like a 3D website. Uh, Facebook is a huge 2D website, just millions of pages. But um, uh, these will be 3D websites. So we needed a, um, a way to model uh, the 3D uh, website, the 3D world that you're building. It could be an e-commerce world like Welcome to the World of Gucci, and you're in an immersive virtual reality or augmented reality experience, or it could be an educational environment or health environment or any kind of thing that uh, people will make. Then they'll make everything. I mean, if we look at the World Wide Web, all that's now gonna be done in 3D, right? And so, um, so we set ourselves in uh, a course to uh, develop the protocols. And the secret, the problem with the protocol, the reason nobody wants to write them is uh, you've got to spend, gosh, four years and $4 million writing the protocol and getting it through the standards committees at the IEEE and turned into a standard like Wi-Fi or, or uh, HTTP or TCP IP, any of the other big protocols. Uh, and so uh, if you go to an investor and you go, hey, we, we, we figured out a way to write the protocols for the internet of everything. So it's not just documents and machines, but it's buildings and cars and drones and everything. Yeah. Versus and, and everything. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, yeah, that would be incredible. The internet of everything. Yeah. Uh, well, how much do you need? Uh, it's going to take probably 4 million bucks and probably take about four years. Awesome. How much do we make when, uh, when, when it's ready? Oh, oh no, it's a 
a public standard. You just give it away to the entire world for free. And, and that's the way- and investors TTP, don't like that. Yeah, that's the way TCPIP <laughs> is. That's the way HTTP is. I don't have to call IBM or Microsoft or Apple and see if I can join the internet. Uh, as long as my phone has an IP address on it, it's, there's the internet protocol address and I can build a website, put a URL on it, boom, uh, websites are everywhere. So um, uh, that's when you get exponential growth, when there's no friction. That's, yeah. what, that's what the internet is really all about is decentralizing. And yeah. so, uh, so we're really just uh, the third protocol. So the first protocol connected the machines, Second protocol connected to all the documents. Then the third protocol is the, kind of the frosting on the cake that connects everything. Uh, all the uh, cars, drones, ships, all the physical objects in the world, buildings, bridges, whatever. You can even count all the trees. Uh, but then it also links into all the fantasy worlds too. Uh, so uh, uh, the planet Pandora from the movie Avatar will be a giant full 3D hologram that you'll go in there and play games in and have dramas in and be part of it all. You'll live with the people there locally. So all these IP uh, uh, environments that go from Homer's Odyssey through to the latest film, they're all gonna be made into uh, virtual worlds. Well, they all have to be connected as well because some of the, um, some of the virtual worlds will be uh, like um, Nike might have a virtual world. You go in and you design your shoe, but then the, the virtual world is connected to a digital uh, copy of the factory, the robotic factory, which makes the shoe for you, custom fits it to your foot. And, uh, and then that's connected to the supply chain that ultimately the drone delivers it to your house. And then even later, picks it back up for recycling when you want to recycle it back into the system. So you get, uh, you, you really get a, a kind of a nervous system uh, for, uh, for the world where um, uh, you've got uh, this kind of a global kind of connectedness of everything now. And then yeah. uh, that's where the artificial intelligence then comes into play to inhabit that big spatial hologram of the earth and all the metaverses and then help to make our flows of information and, and equipment and products and ideas and everything flow more smoothly, you know, with less friction. So it, it's so interesting uh, that you say that because, um, you know, I read something recently where it was talking about investors and, you know, they're all waking up from their slumber in the bear market, you know, um, but they're only interested in AI, AI companies, AI development, like, and they're spending a lot of money in that sector right now. But at the same time, they're also saying Web3 is dead. And, you know, with, with what I know about the spatial web and, and the AI within, I'm like, this is the glue that bridges all of these technologies together. But, you know, the majority of people don't realize that's what's happening and that's what's coming. So maybe you can speak uh, a, a little bit more on that as far as, you know, people who are developing these technologies and how it's going to bridge them, them together. Because to me, it brings it all into this augmented reality world. When my, uh, when my uh, wonderful partner, Gabriel Rene, uh, and I uh, kind of started to uh, uh, whiteboard this project uh, back in 2017, uh, we realized um, it was only partially a technological problem. It was really an ontological problem. It was almost the architecture, how you structure this thing. And you, if you understand how the Lego pieces of the stack of technologies fit together, uh, then uh, that's the key uh, to uh, kind of a, a, 
a successful uh, software creation, you know. And so um, here's what we kind of basically came up with. It's kind of like a three-layer cake. Um, and uh, once you understand that, then you kind of see what's coming and why it's so obvious and how all these separate pieces fit together because there's terms like blockchains and Web3 and mm-hmm. and virtual worlds and XR and artificial intelligence and IoT devices and all these things. It just sounds like a bunch of word salad, but actually they all fit together like a little Lego piece, just like a car has tires and an interior and a radio and an engine. And a, but you put it all together, we just go car. Right. So, <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a system <laughs> design. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so the car of the spatial web uh, that's the the pieces that all fit together are these four major pieces with a lot of little sub pieces that tie them together, just like a car. Uh, so the primary core of the engine of um, of all computing going forward is artificial intelligence, um, because the the core engine of uh, software has really been software. So a computer without software is just a box. Uh, so it's the software on the computer that makes it exciting. And that's right. what cracked the German uh, cipher code in World War II. And that's what created all the accounting programs and database programs. And then the programs that we use on our laptops today, they're all software. And so that software is getting smarter. And it started, it started to enter the age of AI, you know, maybe even 20 years ago with kind of very simple forms. And when you get recommendations uh for YouTube videos to watch or books to buy at Amazon or whatever, that's artificial intelligence running in the background. So AI is kind of running our big networks for mobile phones and computers and the cloud and everything else. So and AI is in our cars and helping to run the engines. So AI has been around for quite a while. Um, but uh, what, we, what we've been dreaming about is the AI that we see in uh, science fiction uh, movies. And that is uh, AI that we can talk to and it talks back to us. So whether it's the HAL 9000 in Space Odyssey or Jarvis in Iron Man or, you know, other uh, really cool examples of uh, AI, uh, that's the dream that we've been uh, really having. And the the functional AI that's been running our airplanes and and ports and and other kinds of things, our cars, everything, uh, that's kind of hidden behind the scenes. You don't realize it's there but it's creating a foundational understanding of artificial intelligence, which is allowing it to move up the uh, levels uh, to the point where uh, it can now mimic uh, humanity, right? I mean, so with ChatGPT and some of the other uh, generative AI programs, I mean, you ask it a question, the answer is be one of the smartest people in the world (laughs) answering the question. They're still early, they still have a lot of flaws, but boy, they're really exciting. And uh, we went from uh, no users of uh, ChatGPT on the 1st of December. And within a week, uh, when it opened, and within five days, there were, there were a million users. And within two months, there were 100 million users. And That's insane. Telling each other about it, you know. So AI is, uh, AI is the core technology. And uh, that's what we call the logic layer. So in the three-layer cake, the logic layer is the middle layer. It's the core of everything. It's why it's the code you write. Then yeah. on top of the uh, logic layer is the interface layer. It's how we touch the logic. And so in a uh, 
in an Excel program. You got little cool squares that you can put numbers in and run a spreadsheet. Uh, a Word doc looks like a, a typewriter with a page of paper in it. You can type on it. There's no paper there. There's no typewriter, but we just use that as an interface because we're comfortable with it. And yeah. so, so interface design is the top layer. It's how the how we interface with the logic. And then the bottom layer of the three-layer cake is the data layer. So after I do something to the logic, I make a difference that makes a difference. I kind of make some adjustment into uh, uh, either some model or some thought or some number or something. And uh, then I can store that in the data field. And so then later I can pull it back up, modify it further, uh, draw on it for other purposes, whatever. So you got these three layers, the interface, yeah. the logic, and the uh, data layer. Well. The interface layer is moving toward AI. What is AI? AI is simply software that writes software. Right. It's 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 so modern. so the AI then becomes the master of the logic layer too. Then <laughs> completely. So humans and AIs together will um, figure out cool advances to the logic layer. But ultimately, AI will probably just take it over and go, "Cool, I got it now." Uh, then the interface level. Um, is uh, how, how do we see what the AI is seeing? Well, what does the AI see? Well, it sees a digital copy of the physical world. They're called digital twins. So we make scanners and other kinds of things and we can make a digital twin of a hospital or a factory or an entire city, ultimately the entire surface of the globe. And there are probably 10 projects right now around the world uh, by various government agencies and things to make a complete perfect copy, a hologram of earth right? In 3D. Wow. And so, um, right. so AI then can see into that through cameras and satellites and sensors and everything. So it's seeing into the world. And what the way we see what the AI sees is by wearing AR and VR glasses. So they let us see in see the world the way the AI sees it. So uh, with an AR pair of glasses, I can actually see the building in front of me. But with AR glasses on, I can also see data about the building showing me where I go and what I do or whatever. And uh, so that's what the um, computer's seeing because it's seeing a digital version of that world, but you can shrink wrap the world with the digital version so that it, the AI is inhabiting the physical world, it looks like, you know? Right. And so um, by having a, a, an AR or VR interface, then I can kind of be in the world with the AI. You know, I can right. see what the AI scene. Uh, so that's the uh, interface level for humans. Of course, the AI though needs an interface level. How does the AI see the world? Every camera, you know, there's cameras all over the world and just, it can see through them all through, uh, through APIs and, uh, and through every kind of sense. There's buoys in the ocean measuring the temperature of the ocean. There's, there's, there's weather balloons uh, that are capturing information. And so, so all that data is coming into the AI. So it's seeing a real time living, breathing planet Earth. Well, that's going to help us manage our climate and right. other supply chains and, and uh, avoidance of uh, weather tragedies and dealing with uh, earthquakes and other kinds of things. It's an amazing model. And so then we can run simulations on that model to kind of see what the near future might be uh, under different scenarios. And uh, we can build uh, better uh, uh, models of how we might want to do carbon credits to cut down the carbon influence. I mean, just many, many things once you've got that. So every child in um, probably 2030 or 2035, uh, every human being 
uh, as their birthright. We'll just have a, a beautiful 3D Earth that they can call up anytime, kind of the way we call up uh, Google Maps now. And it just floats right in front of you. There it is. You can spin it. You can zoom in and to any point all the way down to practically a, a leaf, you know, on a tree, all the way back up to the whole thing. And so um, the, when the astronauts went to the moon, uh, and even when they were in space uh, floating around uh, the Earth, um, they had some psychological effect uh, from it. They started to realize that there were no borders. <laughs> They started to realize, oh my gosh, it's all one island in this beautiful dark sea of uh, space. And uh, they live on the planet. And so it's called the overview effect. You can look it up. So kind of well studied. Uh, but uh, imagine now every, every, every child from the age of two on will have a complete real-time 3D model of planet Earth as seen from some perspective in space, you can change your perspective. You can run forward back in time to see the ice age, you can go forward, you know what I mean? It's just gonna yeah. be remarkable. And uh, so that'll be a, that'll just be a basic thing that you have and then you can zoom in anywhere and, and then dive down and next thing you know, you're in Switzerland or something and you're walking around a uh, digital twin of Geneva, you know, and, and uh, you're full in. So, I mean, it's a remarkable kind of, natural interface so i think that brings us then to the uh the the final part of the ai and that is that uh, uh, for the first time now we can actually talk to the ais and uh, they understand us and uh, so that uh, opens up the power of the computer because we've always wanted to get this processing power uh and use it either to run our businesses or to educate ourselves about something or whatever and so initially we had to um write code in uh, these arcane languages of uh, Fortran and COBOL and later Lisp and other cool languages like Java and C. And then we, in the initial days, we would have to give our card stack to a white coated scientist who would run the stack and then give us our program back uh, after they'd run it. And we'd debug it and slowly do that kind of thing. So basically we're trying to program that computer, but we've got to go through all these interim steps. And then we right. finally get to applications where we're programming the computer by just putting in natural things like, hey, add up these row of numbers or I'm typing this letter, uh, make a, you know, do, do something with it, make it a PDF and we're going to email it to somebody. So, um, so now I'm programming the computer directly. I don't have anybody between me. There's no more. I don't have to learn a programming language. Uh, just my natural language is the programming language. Yeah. Um, and then uh, now we're at the final step now where there's no application, uh, there's just the AI and you just talk to the AI and then it uses all the tools it has in the world to solve your problem uh, for you. And, um, and so, um, and, it's, and it's getting smarter every day. So if it can't solve a problem today, it might be able to do it in a week or a month. So it's a, um, we're, we're, we've entered a new age now where uh, uh, we have, we don't have to go through a specialist or we don't have to have special arcane knowledge to use this multi-trillion dollar global network of 40 billion computers uh, to interact with the world. We can just talk to it, you know, and the AI inhabits the entire network. So the AI I'm talking to is connected to the AI you're talking to. They're really all one kind of meta AI that's interacting with humanity and helping us uh, manage our planet and solve our problems. So let me ask you then, so um, let's talk about a little bit 
about what's coming this summer with uh, with Versus, with Cosm, and uh, with Gia. Um, and what I'd, what I'd like to kind of point out is that, you know, with ChatGPT4, they just launched plugins, right? Where people can, um, where it can, it can plug into different uh, companies that already exist. Like I know, like Expedia and Kayak and different things that are for travel. They're already, uh, they're already working with it. They're already using the plugin, but they have a whitelist that you can join. That for you know, they're going to start slowly rolling it out. But to me, what's really interesting is, you know, that's going to add a lot of functionality for those companies for their websites. But it's still taking this AI into a into applications in a web 2.0 environment. So all these applications still are siloed. They're all still these siloed, uh, you know, tools that are are being built. And I know what Versus has coming is completely different. It's it's joining everything together um, in in this interconnected uh, realm. So please talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I, the, that is the very uh, fundamental uh, vision of the internet itself. Uh, let's connect all the computers. And that yeah. way everybody can send free messages to each other all over the world. Uh, and that'll foster greater communication. And so, gosh, we did it in spades. <laughs> Start with four computers, we're at 40 billion. Then, uh, then we connected, uh, oh, let's connect some documents online. Well, guess what? Every document in the history of the world is now online. It's like 10, 12 billion documents now online, each one with their own unique address, fully indexed by Google. So you can quickly search the library like a Dewey Decimal System and find exactly the page you want. And, uh, you know, it's a remark. It's the very ethos of the Internet. Connect everything and give it to everybody pretty much for free. You know, I mean, you can, if you want to build a website with a paywall, you can, but the web itself is open access. Right. So um, so we just followed that exact ethos. I mean, that's obviously a proven, uh, a proven architecture from uh, 50 years now, you know, and then 25 years uh, with the uh, World Wide Web. So um, why, 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 not, why not continue to grow that thing? You know what I mean? So yeah. it has nothing to do with silos of, uh, of AIs uh, answering magical questions, you know? It has to do with networked intelligence uh, all yes. over the world, uh, all interacting and we're all growing together the way we do culturally now through our uh, normal media by writing articles and reading them and doing PhD theses and contributing to the scientific knowledge. So, so um, the spatial web is simply that, that's what I mean. It's, it's the, you, you've got to get the architecture right Otherwise, yeah. you put a limit on it. For instance, um, right now, we don't have artificial general intelligence. We don't have like a human scale intelligence. We have what's called artificial narrow intelligence. So we can train a neural net to play chess, and it can play chess so well that it can be a, a grandmaster, but it can't drive a car, or it can't, right. uh, it can't calculate other kinds. Of, it's built to do that thing. And it's just in the nature of the way these uh, these artificial neuro intelligence are, are made. They're just a box of neurons that we're, we're training on pattern recognition. So we'll show it a million pictures of cats and, uh, and then a million pictures of dogs. And then we'll show it a picture of a dog and hold it up to it and say, what's this? And it'll go 90% dog. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what it does, right? It's a train. Right. But if I show it a horse, 
It doesn't know any idea what it is. And it doesn't even know what a dog or cat is. It's just going that kind of group of things looks kind of like pattern A. That kind of group of dots kind of looks like pattern B. There's no sense of self. There's no world model. There's no understanding of cats and dogs or animals or anything like that. It's just a pure right. pattern. And so it interprets A into the word cat, but it doesn't know what a cat is. So that's the AI that we've had up until now. Um, the AI we want is more like a human being that's knowledgeable about the world. So if I tell you I'm going to go to Europe, you already kind of have a sense that that's a, another continent. I'm going to probably going to get on a plane and fly there and, and, and that, sort of, uh, that sort of thing. So these, uh, these large language models are wonderful uh, and they're great tools, but the power of the collective wisdom of humanity in real time, all plugged into a network. Right. Wow. That's what we want, you know. Well, and that's what you're doing. <laughs> that's right? what the space. That's what the spatial web enables. So, um, so these protocols allow um, um, AI to be networked. And our vision is that um, rather than build a giant machine with a 175 billion or a trillion uh, parameters, and then be able to ask it, uh, uh, tell me a story about Paris. And all it's doing is calculating mathematically the words that are most closely related to the word Paris and constructs a story about a romantic uh, holiday in Paris along the Seine and, and the Eiffel Tower in the background. And because that's 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 all it's doing. It's just running mathematical run measurements on what what words go with Paris, you know. Right. And uh, it'll construct a story, and therefore it can construct uh, false stories. Like I say, okay, what's the best medical treatment for type two diabetes? It may construct a very logical story, but it got its facts wrong, and actually gives me really bad advice uh, because it doesn't <laughs> Not have good. a model in itself. <laughs> so what we said is, let's don't do that. That's that's a great first step, and it's it's handy for writing stories and uh, other things. You can't really run your world with it. It's too random. It makes too many mistakes to put it in charge of running anything like an airport or a city or or even your metaverse. And so uh, we said, let's go from let's go the way nature did it. Let's start from the bottom up. So yeah. we'll make these in intelligent agent AI tools, and we'll give them to individuals almost like website building tools. So then they can build their own AI. Maybe it's a, a person who's a specialist in nutrition and they build an AI that just helps you plan your meals for the week and look at your diet and, and help you achieve your, uh, your, your dietary goals. Another person might be uh, building something on um, uh, how you uh, 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 run a garden and, and do it uh, properly. And so everybody's got these specialized knowledge sets and they can now build them, but then they, because they're running on a, an internet uh, protocol, they can all communicate with each other so they can learn from each other as well. So then you get, mil we have, I think, 5 million apps now in the, uh, in the uh, iPhone app store. And so Apple didn't make them. Apple just built the tools and said, hey, right. there's an app store, rock and roll, build, build apps and we'll yeah. help you market them. And so uh, we kind of followed that model and we said, well, let's just give everybody the tools. So they're building their own AIs, their own little models of their specialty. And then they're, they're actually maintaining that knowledge uh, graph. Uh, so we, you know, we're, we're, we're getting the intelligence of individuals all over the world and groups of and companies and whatever all over the world, all working together. And then the AI can uh, uh, in, connect all these things. So that kind of, it's called emergence when uh, 
collective intelligence arises out of many, many uh, small uh, cellular intelligences. And so that's really uh, the way we're approaching uh, AGI. And we think it's probably the only way to get there. In fact, there's kind of a humorous uh, a cartoon that uh, uh, goes around in the AI circles. Um, and uh, it's like uh, AGI is the moon, artificial general intelligence, human intelligence, and air, air artificial narrow intelligence is uh, being here on the ground, uh, looking up at the moon. And uh, the, problem, the thing is, how do we get to the moon? And so um, artificial uh, narrow intelligence is climbing uh, like the uh, Eiffel Tower or, or the Empire State Building. They've gone up 10 floors and they go, see, we're closer. Then they go up 20 floors, see, we're closer. Uh, 30 floors, see, we're closer. And so that's why a lot of people think, well, you can't get to the moon that way because you're, you're just training neurons and you've got to get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more expensive and, and more and more flaws in it. So that'll not get you to an artificial general intelligence, even though most people think it will. But a lot of uh, high-end uh, artificial intelligence specialists do not believe that that's a good path. And so um, a better path, rather than climbing a building to get to the moon, would be to build a rocket. Well, that means you've got to start over in a whole entire new approach. You're not right. just getting from the 10th floor to the 20th floor in the building. You're going like, we're not even using the building. We're going to go over here, build this new kind of thing. I like a building. It's tall and thin, but it's got a big engine on the thing. on, And you can get to the moon with this thing. And so um, that's called artificial uh, general intelligence uh, tools. And uh, what we've uh, done is we've partnered with a, uh, a brilliant uh, neuroscientist in uh, England uh, who's been working on a um, new theory of AI um, called active inference AI uh, based on the free energy principle. And um, the work that we were doing and the work that he and his uh, uh, research staff uh, and um, PhDs we're working on uh, just uh, merges together so perfectly and beautifully. So then the synergy out of, you know, it's not 10 plus 10, it's 10 times 10, right? So right. then it comes, you know, they got their stuff that far, we got our stuff this far, we put them together and then like, yeah, goes. And so, um, so that's the magic that's taking place at uh, at uh, versus AI right now is this uh, extraordinary um, research that's been uh, going on at University College of London under the direction of uh, Dr. Carl Friston, and then our uh, our teams uh, work in um, uh, traditional artificial narrow intelligence and uh, uh, using that in um, in this new architectural stack of uh, interfaces, uh, logics, and uh, and, uh, and data uh, frame frameworks. Uh, and we brought that all together with these spatial web protocols. Wow, that's right. Uh, now we can now now we can give anybody the ability to create AI applications and uh, anywhere in the world and uh, at any age. And so we're going to it'll gather the collective wisdom of humanity and then link it all together. And then uh, AI is then uh, a larger meta AI then has access to all of that to help us manage the planet. You know, as an example. Yeah. So what's What's really fascinating to me about that is, you know, by allowing people to build their own intelligent agents on top of uh, your operating system within the spatial web that's powered by this artificial intelligence, to me, that's, we're looking at a very quickly coming, approaching explosion of development and, you know, um, just, you know, this, this entire world of anybody can create whatever they want. 
and have it work for them. And it anybody can do it. You don't have to have special knowledge and you're, you're democratizing access to AI development in a way that is just astounding. Um, so maybe maybe talk a little bit about that because I you know one of the things that's really uh, interesting and what I'd love for people to understand is you know if you're developing a project right now you want to be developing in this environment because uh, you know it's it's going to empower everything through this network effect so maybe you can talk a little bit about that making a uh, making. Making a piece of software has been a, a pretty uh, difficult process for the last 75 years since the first uh, programmable computers kind of appeared on the scene. Uh, you know, it's, you have to learn arcane languages. You've got to later, uh, you know, uh, develop learn how to make apps on smartphones. And uh, it's always been this kind of a journey to making applications that you might want to uh, create uh, on the uh, uh, for for either use on a uh, a smart device or on the internet itself, um, but uh, over time they keep getting a little bit simpler. Things like WordPress came in and Shopify for building websites, and there's app development tools and things like that. But uh, in, as we enter the age of the uh, spatial web, uh, with um, uh, with powerful uh, AIs that can uh, help you uh, create anything, uh, you really can talk uh, applications into existence. So, um, you know, an eight-year-old girl in Kenya might end up being uh, one of the top programmers in the world because um, she's conceptualizing a, uh, uh, a, an AI application that really helps people in ways that we have never imagined, you know, and uh, this, is how, yeah. this, is how, this, is how, this is how evolution works. I mean, evolution of ideas, uh, uh, you know, gosh, uh, there was hardly any, any physics uh, 500 years ago, and, the, and then we go through Newton and then Einstein, and uh, now we're into all kinds of new subatomic worlds. And uh, so everything just keeps unfolding and you never know what corner it's gonna come from. I mean, even the internet was just uh, uh, some, uh, wasn't wasn't done by a major corporation, it was just done by some PhDs working together. Uh, World Wide Web uh, was not done by the big uh, Apple and Microsoft companies, just done by some young, uh, um, uh, young PhDs just uh, kind of messing around with how could they make a, a web uh, environment. And so um, a lot of these breakthroughs come uh, in surprising ways and not from where we, they're not where you would expect them to come from. It's just like uh, Mozart, you know, just genius ideas pop up and then come up. Right. Now they, what's great now is because everybody's connected. Uh, if you do come up with something amazing, uh, you can share it with the whole world uh, very right. inexpensively. So the AIs were really... Uh, uh, for at least for the next, uh, you know, 15, 20 years are going to be uh, uh, tremendous. They are going to be our interface uh, to this entire multi-trillion dollar computer network system with all of its capabilities and uh, just basically uh, uh, talk to it and uh, it'll help you uh, uh, either create things or connect to things or meet the people you need to meet or whatever. So AI, AI becomes the interface. You don't really have a touch screen. You don't Probably have keyboards. I mean, right now we watch uh, old movies, and when somebody runs into a payphone and looks for a quarter to put in the thing, it's kind of looks kind of humorous. We all chuckle. But I mean, can you imagine even ten years from now, kids will look at like people using keyboards, like what are you people doing? <laughs> right. Yes. It, okay. So it's funny because to me, like, um, you know, in this type of an environment. 
because it's connecting all of the internet of things and all of the trillions of sensors that are coming on board and everything else to me it's that wealth of all of that data that's going to you know bring about innovation that we can't even imagine right now you know and and that to me is one of the advantages of being in this environment um but it's just it's so fascinating to me when you think of this connected world and you think of the interaction within the intelligent you know ecosystem of it and the assistance there and then i know like you know one of the advantages is with hsml um you know, the formatting language for it, baking in context into it, it, it allows the protocol to be a gatekeeper as well. So when you're talking about, um, you know, programs that can interact with all of the other programs and all of the data that's out there, it, I think it's also important for people to understand that you can also block off certain aspects of your data and the information so that, you know, it's this protected environment as well. It's not just a free-for-all. So, you know, how, how do you see that playing forward, um, especially when you're talking about, you know, enterprise corporations coming and building their own programs within this space? And, you know, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, I think if we look back at the uh, founding of the World Wide Web uh, 25 years ago or almost 30 years ago now, um, when Tim designed uh, HTTP and HTML, uh, particularly HTTP, there was no identity layer in there. So um, for you to have any identity on Facebook or anything, uh, you have to log in. And so when you log in, you have to agree to the terms and conditions of using the application. And there's terms and conditions you get to use all the data. And so then you end up being kind of without realizing you're, you're working for Facebook. And so then they start to manipulate you to get you to stay on longer because they their business is selling ads. And the, right. more, the more your eyeballs stay on there, the more ads go by and the more money they make. So you get kind of an unvirtuous uh, circle there <laughs> with that. Uh, so you're really just a data provider to the system that they're selling. They're harvesting data from you constantly. Yeah. Google and everybody else. So, um, uh, so that's one of the problems of the current World Wide Web. It's called surveillance capitalism. Uh, another, oh. problem the World <laughs> Wide Web, another problem with the World Wide Web is, um, is hacking. Um, uh, and another problem with the World Wide Web is um, faking. Uh, the, the, fake, the, the, the deep fakes are getting so good, you can't tell whether this is Biden saying this or Trump is saying that. I mean, the, the mouth movements are so problem. accurate. So we need some kind of verification uh, process on the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the late, as the late show would go, the truthiness of, uh, of anything. You know? And so right. those three things, hacking, tracking, and faking, you really need to address those before you build something like the spatial web. Otherwise, you're just really creating more of a problem uh, than, uh, than the solution. So having 25 years of looking at the, uh, the flaws in the World Wide Web, uh, we were able to kind of attack each of those flaws. And uh, uh, so um, uh, a very simple example would be um, in the, um, in the uh, spatial web, um, you own your own data. Uh, you have uh, a blockchain ID and uh, you have your own data vaults and uh, you, you know, you have your data. If you want to sell your data, you can sell your data. Uh, there'll be, there's data exchanges on the spatial web. You can sell your data and you can anonymize your data and sell the an, an, uh, anonymous data. For instance, let's say you had a, a Tesla car 
Um, Tesla might want to buy the stream of data off that car. They don't have to know it's Denise's car. They just want to, they want to see their fleet to understand how their batteries are performing and when the brakes fail and other kinds of things. So they'll buy the data from you and uh, probably the data is tokenized. And, uh, and so you're getting uh, tokens into your uh, token account and um, all your actions then in the, uh, in the spatial web you can monetize them if you like, you know, and so that becomes a source of income for every, you get paid to use the web, uh, as you should. Um, and um, so um, that comes with what's called self-sovereign identity. Uh, so that enables that. And with self-sovereign identity, you get a second order uh, benefit, and that is called zero knowledge proofs. So that uh, just to kind of use a real world example, uh, if, you, uh, if you're standing in line for a nightclub, uh, you have to uh, show your ID at the door. Well, yeah. I can see your entire name, address, everything. And, and all they really need to know is that you're over 21. But in, uh, in an augmented reality networked world, uh, the door person might have a, a pair of augmented reality glasses on and they can see a green check mark above everybody's head like because biometrically that person is over 21. They don't know your name. They don't have to know anything about you. You just have proof that you're over 21 because it links to your driver's license online, which is in your data vault. And so you, you're green, 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 green. Oh, here's a person with a red X. Come over here, let's have a look. What, what's the deal? Oh, I'm visiting from Argentina. Oh, let me see your passport because they're not in the system yet, you know, or something, you know. Right. Oh, okay, you're over 21, go on in. So zero knowledge proofs mean you right. only get the knowledge you need about me, not everything. And so yeah. even your medical records, um, when you go to see your doctor, your doctor may request uh, an MRI scan or something. Well, that goes to your data vault. And then you loan it to the doctor for a week or a month or whatever the treatment time is. And then it, you know, it goes away, then it disappears and, and only, only exists in your vault. So uh, these kinds of things really help with the, uh, with the uh, tracking. And, uh, and, the, uh, uh, and then it also, like I say, you, you get an income stream from it if you like. And then um, uh, the, uh, the faking, having AI in the network can really tell where the source of this is in the network. And so probably this isn't really Joe Biden talking or Donald Trump talking, it's somebody else. And, and, then, um, uh, and then I think also with the, uh, with the hacking, um, uh, new kinds of um, uh, cybersecurity, not using relational databases, using graph databases, using blockchains, things like this, we can cut down on the hacking. Um, and so, um, so then we start to get a much safer uh, web to exist in. We're not being surveilled. Uh, we're not being hacked. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not. And safer AI, right? And safer AI. I mean, the well, yeah. AI becomes accurate, deliberate, mindful. Um, you know, it's funny because people are sitting there with the chat GPTs and stuff, and they're 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 trying to break them. <laughs> And it seems to me that in the spatial web environment with the AI, it, you, there isn't a way to break it because it's real time and it's based on real data. It's not um, it's not just this pocket of enormous amount of data that it's pulling from to try to form, you know, correlations and determine accuracies. It is accurate. All of it will be accurate. Is that a good way to look at it? Well, I mean, just think about it logically. Let's say that uh, the two of us uh, had a company and we're going to build the largest uh, uh, AI ever in history. I mean, like 10 trillion parameters is gonna cost, take us two years and a billion dollars, but then it's gonna be this monster thing. Well, how do you, how, what did you put in there? 
So yeah. you got to filter everything that's going in because if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. Geigo is the oldest story in uh, computer programming. So you got to clean all the data. So that's called training data. That costs time and money to clean. The more data you have, the more expensive it is. They're hiring people in Kenya and India to clean the data. It's a mess. Still bad data gets in there. That's why you get in there and and, and get around the filters and and cause uh, uh, you know ChatGPT to even uh, threaten people or do things like that. So um, yeah. So I think um, uh, there's a problem fundamentally with the giant AI thing, the silo that somebody built. Right. and so what we're saying is, uh, let's do it more like the World Wide Web. You're yeah. responsible for the content on your website. You update it. We're not, Google isn't running around uh, validating all the websites. You're responsible for maintaining your own website. And if you put on some uh, uh, bad uh, uh, information on your website, whether it's uh, false or misleading, or whether it's something to do with like terrorism or some other kind of uh, thing, um, the community sees it and points it out, and then usually you're taken down, or you know you have to modify the thing. So, so the World Wide Web kind of has an immune system a little bit against uh, like a terrorist website or something, you know. And so um, uh, it's uh, by having millions of intelligent agents uh, that are being maintained by individuals and groups for themselves. They're like little websites. Well, there could be very big websites. In fact, I mean, it could be a big a big uh, virtual environment that you build out there. Uh, you know, the, you know, it could be a, like the entire um, the entire planet of Pandora uh, could be a metaverse, and you go and you hang out there, and it's a billion dollars to build that thing. And so, you know, you really want that safe and well done and well handled, and and that becomes a big uh, money maker for uh, James Cameron who developed the whole thing. So, so they these individual agent worlds. Uh, they're, they're, they're like Asian worlds. They can just be knowledge bases or they can be virtual environments or they can be augmented reality things in the world. They're all maintained by the people that built them, just right. like websites are or just like apps are. Apple, if you got a problem with Uber, you don't call Apple, you call Uber. Hey, uh, my driver was horrible and right. <laughs> you, know, you call Uber, you're not calling Apple. So yeah. we really are just enabling everybody to do what they're already doing. They're already building websites all over the world. You know, they're already building apps all over the world. Oh, well, well, there's a new set of tools. Now build intelligent agents, uh, AIs all over the world and let them talk to each other and communicate with each other. And each one of them getting a little bit better and learning and the whole thing grows steadily over time, just like the web did. I mean, we started with 10 web pages and now we're at 10 billion web pages. I mean, that's how this thing happens. Uh, when you've got an open network with no friction, uh, then people can add to it all over the world and you get this collective intelligence that rises out of it. And so we, uh, we actually put out a white paper on, um, on um, using intelligent agents to uh, get to collective intelligence. And uh, I think it's on our website. Uh, you can go there and, and download it. Uh, our website is uh, versus.ai. I've, I've read that white paper. And in it, you um, you guys have a, a timeline, uh, a, a preliminary timeline for when you expect, um, you know, the potential for reaching AGI, and then even you know, uh, super intelligence. And maybe you can speak a little bit on that. 
Yeah, I think uh, more than the actual dates, uh, uh, what we've done in the white paper is um, show the steps that one takes to get there. And so they're very logical and you, you can understand them. And we're already, like I say, we're architected a, ro a rocket rather than a building. So, yes. you know, we, we kind of have a mechanism now that uh, the math, run the math on it. You can get to the moon and back, you know, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, um, so that's uh, laid out in the white paper. Here's where we are. Um, here are the interim steps. Uh, as we move towards sentience and then AGI and then ultimately beyond that uh, onto a kind of a singularity model where we've got a super intelligence uh, that's operating. And so um, so that's uh, that's the fun part about it. No one's actually been able to lay out the thing in the past. Uh, with the AGIs, they mimic intelligence. Uh, they, they do. They, they can uh, score in the top 10% on the law boards. They can uh, right. score in the top 10, 20% in the uh, SATs. I mean, they absolutely uh, mimic intelligence, uh, but they themselves are not intelligent. Um, and because there's no self there, there's no world model. Part of our intelligence, the way we measure our intelligence is how big and how accurate is our interior model of reality. And right. so an intelligence test checks for or they can be other kinds of intelligences too. We realize now there's about 12 types of intelligences that they've discovered like emotional intelligence and aesthetic intelligence and these kinds of things. And so, um, so as, we, as we develop these uh, uh, systems and they're growing in intelligence, uh, they're, they're not just mimicking intelligence, they're actually mimicking the functions that we use to develop our intelligence, whereas and AGI is trying to stuff all the, uh, uh, an AI like a large language model, stuffing a box full of just tremendous number of parameters uh, related to language. And, uh, and then you can query that and it'll put the language together in amazing ways, but it actually isn't learning anything in the, in the conversation. Uh, so what right. you want is an AI that's actually learning and growing the way a child does, right? And so, um, so that would be a rocket that would get you to an AGI. And so that requires an entirely different approach. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not building uh, a box full of, uh, of sentences. You're building a model of reality and then uh, that model of reality is growing and evolving as the AI engages the actual physical world or the metaverse world. And so that model then is growing and it's the model that's, so if you look at generative AI, why do we call it generative AI? Because it generates the sentences based on the sentence that you put in. So, oh, tell me a story about a girl who lives in Paris in the 1960s and, uh, you know, whatever some story and it'll write it for you really, right. really beautifully. And it generates everything, right? Uh, through these uh, transformer models. But what we're generating isn't that, we're generating a world model. So then yes. you can query the world model, it's getting bigger and better. You know, I, I can ask Siri, what's the weather in London today? And Siri will tell me. Um, but now it's going to be really, like I said, you're gonna have one in the palm of your hand, practically you can just zoom in and out on. So that world model uh, will be evolving for the rest of our lives. Right. And um, yeah. and that intelligence then will um, will cause us to increase our intelligence. So a lot of people are thinking, oh, my gosh, you build these AGIs and then they get smarter than humans and they just go away. No, no, no. If you take somebody here from 500 years ago or a thousand years ago, we seem really smart to them. Like how right. do you make an airplane? What is electricity? I mean, you know, we're like really yeah. smart. Uh, so we've evolved our consciousness just through 
universities and talking and writing. Uh, well, imagine now human minds engaging an AGI that can build models and show you things. Uh, you're going to have an eight-year-old girl, a 10-year-old girl doing almost PhD level work probably in 20, 30 years, you know, in physics, whatever, yeah. because it's a conceptual thing. Most of, you look at Einstein's uh, work, I mean, he his lab was his mind. He would kind of meditate a little bit and kind of uh, they called Gadokan experiment and they would be, it would just be thought experiments he would imagine himself as a photon and and you know that kind of thing well now man with virtual reality and children growing up with this thing oh my god uh, we're just gonna have some really smart kids <laughs> yeah so it seems to me that you you guys have solved the alignment problem you know that um you know the, for for all of these uh you know generative models you know they're having to do uh, the reinforcement learning based on human feedback with their data scientists just to train it to to be more in line with what a human expects the answer to be to appear more accurate, but you guys are, that reinforcement is baked into your system for the human connection. Yeah, again, now we, we're not we're not building it. You know, you're building it, you know what right. I mean? Right, yeah, and okay, so by connecting of, all the humans. Your, your knowledge <laughs> of nutrition will go in there, and, uh, and if it's wrong, uh, probably another nutritionist will talk to you about it, and you guys will all work it out. So the, uh, the large language model of, uh, of the spatial web, actually the large knowledge, we call them knowledge models, um, knowledge action models even, because uh, they can take, they can, that's why it's called active inference. They can actually take decisions uh, on your behalf if you give them the, the ability to do that. Uh, those, those models are built by you and maintained by you. So you, you, we're, not, uh, we're not going, hey, here's our new ma magic box. No, 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 we're going, here are tools Let's yeah. get a billion humans building artificial intelligence. Tools in the network. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they're all networked together. And then that creates a bigger model than you could build as a large language model. But just like the World Wide Web, no company could build a 12 billion page World Wide Web, but right. millions of people working together, not even coordinating, just in separate parts of the world. While we're having this conversation, probably a thousand more web pages were just uploaded to the World Wide Web. So um, that's the that's the path forward. That's the evolutionary path. That's the alignment, not just with humans, but with evolution itself. You're yeah. we're aligning at the most core issue with with evolutionary development. And so you know, tr the the system has uh, also some really nice immune system qualities. Very hard for a terrorist to get control over it. You know, because you know, you might get control over one or two uh, agents, but the rest of the agents could could seal that off and go, look, there's a problem there and get shut down. So, you know, I think uh, it does solve the alignment and the immunity problem uh, when you got, you don't, you, you don't really have a rogue AI now, you know, right. so either being captured by a malevolent group or just going malevolent. No, you got protection because you got millions of people building these little uh, 3D AI website kind of thingies, you know. That's very important. So Dan, tell me, tell me a little bit about Gia. Tell me what why Gia is so different than any AI assistant that we've seen so far. Yeah, so Gia is an anagram for AGI, uh, G-I-A, right? So, um, uh, so uh, uh, Gia is a um, just a, a, a more intelligent Siri. I mean, really, Siri is uh, does a lot of things, but is not very deep. Uh, you know, you can tell me the sports scores, the stock market, answer some basic questions, that kind of thing. 
But uh, um, what you really want is uh, what what one way to look back in history is look at like what are really wealthy people have that nobody else has. You know, uh, like and probably the one thing that really wealthy people have that uh, uh, average person doesn't have anymore because we all have cars and houses and things like that better than kings and queens used to have. But um, but what we don't have is a staff of assistants that are really working on our behalf, that know our tastes, that understand what we're trying to achieve. So I may have one person that handles all of my travel and all of my uh, speaking engagements, things like that. Another assistant might be looking at uh, my diet and health, and uh, another one might be handling my fashion or whatever, things like that, and, um, and so on, right? I mean, financial advisors, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so what uh, what GIA is, is it brings that level of uh, intelligence um, so that instead of everybody having a smartphone, everyone has a smart assistant. And that smart assistant kind of functions almost like a fairy godmother or angel or something. It's like totally dedicated to you, more more loyal than your dog. You know what I mean? Oh, I <laughs> love it. Totally dedicated to your well-being, you know, helping you achieve things, you know, and getting better at doing that every day, you know. So simple things like, hey, I've got to go be in Paris to give a talk on the 12th of April. And it already knows the my preferred airlines and my preferred hotel groups and things like that, and just sets it all up. And then just gives me the readout and like, yeah, I did that for you. And uh, oh, and all, all my, while you're in Paris, I know you uh, you probably want to go to uh, uh, the uh, see the Monet's. Uh, it's one of your favorite things. So I got you tickets at that museum on the off time when you're not speaking, and you know things like that. So it functions like a a, a, a very customized, personal, aware assistant to you, uh, dedicated to you. So obviously in the beginning, it will have some minimum viable capabilities, but then um, over time, as it communicates with other GIAs uh, around the world, then uh, uh, their, their, their capabilities will grow. And then you can put your own uh, wrapper on it. So if you want, if you're English and you want to have it in the face of an English butler or something, you can have it an English butler, or you can have it as your... Um, as um, you know, uh, your 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 best friend, or whatever you want, whatever you want to model it up as, uh, you could model the uh, uh, the name and the face of the uh, general intelligent agent uh, uh, technology, so that uh, so that it's a uh, friendly you know friendly to you. But basically, it's a, a a powerful capability that's there to serve you, and particularly to to be able to interact with the world through IoT devices. Turn this on, turn this off. Go to this, pick this up. Uh, but also uh, through all of the uh, digital worlds of the uh, metaverses and digital twins that we're going to be dealing with, and then all of the uh, all of the um, uh, companies in terms of ordering things and other kinds of things. So um, they just uh, uh, a capable a capable assistant that begins uh, with some nice powerful capabilities, and over the course of a decade uh, becomes mind blowing. You know. So we have some questions from the street. Um, people who have, uh, they're wondering about the AI that's coming and, you know, they've asked specific questions. So um, we have video of them. I'm going to cut to that and then maybe you can answer their questions for them. Sure. This is Huddle Jake, your correspondent in the field. I'm here with Roth and nope. he's got a question for you. My question is, how can you guarantee uh, the everyday person the security of AI and that it won't uh, turn bad? That's my question. Well, I touched on that before. Uh, uh, 
we put we we learned from the World Wide Web that has no identity layer, it has no location layer, it has no security layer. It's just an open web. So therefore, uh, you know, you can be surveilled in anything you do, and uh, when you have to log in anywhere, uh, then you agree to the terms and conditions of everything. And so um, uh, we had the luxury of looking at that 25 years of the kind of flaws in the current World Wide Web model. And uh, we were able then to uh, build in uh, capabilities into the uh, spatial web uh, that would protect us against this. And uh, one of those would be self-sovereign identity, uh, data vaults, uh, other kinds of things. So basically um, you own your own data, and uh, you have zero knowledge proofs, which mean that you can, as if, it's in, if it's an over 21 website, or you have to be a member of a club to join this website, or you have to be a subscriber to read this information, as long as you've achieved that, then you're just a green check mark to that system. They don't know it's you, uh, Denise or Dan or whoever. And uh, so that way you have anonymity on the uh, web, kind of the way you do walking around the world. You don't have perfect anonymity, but in general anonymity. And uh, and uh, uh, if you if they if you do have to log in uh, uh, at some places in, in the uh, spatial web, uh, you'll do it because it's uh, somebody you want to join. You've already joined that club or something, and they they know you and love you, and you're part of it. Uh, so you'll have uh, total control over how much uh, knowledge about yourself is shared with the world. So here's another question, Jake. What do you got for us? Huddle Jake, your correspondent in the field here in Wynwood, Miami with Tom. He's a small business owner at this beautiful crystal shop, and he's got a question. So how will this new internet technology affect me and my business? Well, it's hard to see. I mean, it's very hard to see over the horizon. I mean, uh, Wilbur and Orville uh, Wright invented the airplane in 1903. <laughs> we had jets, uh, jets in the 1940s, and we were on the moon in the... Uh, in 1969, so in 66 years, we went from never having flown to flying to the moon. I mean, it's uh, remarkable what happened. So it's very hard to see over the horizon. Uh, but um, uh, I think uh, at the um, at the at the minimum level, I think uh, the AI, AI will help businesses run more efficiently, uh, run more effectively, uh, help in the ordering process, help in the pricing process, being able to run. We do spreadsheets now, but imagine an AI spreadsheet. It could run multiple variations on things and maybe prices change during the week. It's higher on the weekends and lower during the week. I don't know, you know, you get all yeah. kinds of nuances that uh, we can't do yet because we just can't see well enough into the data yet. Oh. But I can read that data more clearly and help you uh, run more efficiently. So again, it's like having a car that gets 10 miles per gallon versus having a car that gets 30 miles per gallon. I mean, you know, that's a big breakthrough. So uh, so I think the AIs initially will help us uh, run our existing businesses, uh, but probably uh, as you learn how to build uh, your knowledge about crystals or whatever specialty you have that allows you to create the business, you'll be able to build that knowledge now into an AI and then share that knowledge with the world. And as the AI is getting pinged and sharing its knowledge, you're receiving some kind of a token for that. And so that becomes a new income stream as well. So now you've got access with sharing your knowledge with the entire world. Um, you know, there's almost 8 billion people and probably other than babies and people in hospitals and things, pretty much everybody's online now. So we have five or six billion people plugged into the global internet. And that's a, uh, that's a, that's a big community to talk to and share your wisdom and knowledge with. So, um, uh, you know, 
So I think uh, over time we learn to use it. I mean, you know, if you're a horse farmer and when the cars came in, you may not sell as many horses, but you can you can get a car and figure out how to make that work. And so calculators, instead of uh, adding uh, columns up with, uh, with uh, paper and pen. I mean, uh, I think we've gone through these shifts every once in a while. So this is really an augmentation of, uh, of our capabilities as a person. If you're a good business manager now, you'll be a bit better business manager with AI. Very good. And thank you to Huddle Jake, uh, correspondent on the street, for gathering those questions for us. And thank you to Roth and Tom for uh, asking them. Um, Dan, I'd, I'd like to wrap this up uh, with something that I think is really important. And I think it's important for people to understand, you know, um, you know, I, I've watched uh, you over the last handful of years and the evolution of Versus and uh, the Spatial Web uh, Foundation, Spatial Web Protocol. Um, I'm a member of the IEEE Working Group, so I see what's happening there. And, um, you know, one of the things that has struck me is just the, um, the level of integrity with the leadership uh, in putting all of this together. And, you know, it's really clear to me that that everybody involved understands the gravity of the responsibility uh, behind, uh, you know, creating this technology and uh, putting it in place. So, you know, I'd like, I'd like people to hear that, you know, from your perspective, how you feel about that, what, what the intention is on the side of the, uh, of the leadership uh, in this effort. No, great. Sure. No, it's obviously core to the whole thing. I mean, uh, you know, when you're when you're tilling around with protocols that uh, will touch everybody's lives, you want to really do them as well as possible. And uh, uh, obviously it is technology. You do have minimum viable products. So um, you get it out there, uh, architected in such a way that it protects people well and then uh, continue to evolve it. The first cars did not have airbags and seatbelts. Uh, we only learned about those when people started going through windshields. So, so not oh. only so it's not so it's not only the core design that we're doing now, but the ongoing protection of the technology and, and the use of use of it by people uh, that is part of the process. Because um, you know, like I say, seatbelts were added later to cars, and then uh, then finally we figured out how to do airbags. We added those, so less people are dying in car wrecks now. So I think uh, it'll be the same with uh, these technologies. But we have had the luxury of. Uh, of looking at 25 years of the World Wide Web. And so um, uh, from the very beginning, uh, we've really tried to uh, address uh, how do we create the uh, uh, the most beautiful thing uh, that's the safest thing to use and protects us against malevolent use in the future. And uh, we wrote a book about it uh, while we were doing it so everybody could see uh, kind of our thinking on it. It's called The Spatial Web, it's available on Amazon. And it's a nice kind of a look at the overall picture and problems we're facing as a um, global community and um, how something like the spatial web might help with that. And then we also brought in uh, ethics people uh, to surround us as well. Uh, so we have uh, uh, the head of e uh, ethics and AI at uh, the IEEE, John Havens is on our advisory board. Uh, Sarah Mansky, who's a cyber ethicist, is uh, on our advisory board and they write position papers and talk with us and guide us in, in these areas. So we've got a great board of directors. Uh, we have the former uh, vice chairman of Deloitte on our board and uh, he's chairman of our board. 
former head of the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, is on our board. Uh, so we uh, really tried to bring uh, that ethics to bear, not only in the code itself, but how we run the company and then how its financials are uh, handled. Uh, we are a public company now. Uh, we're listed on the NEO Exchange in, uh, in Toronto and uh, uh, it's, uh, versus AI. Um, uh, so if you want to get any information there, there's information on our website as well at versus.ai. And uh, yeah, we just try and be openly, as open and as transparent as we can. And uh, uh, we're pretty clear in our uh, corporate governance uh, models and the way we talk to all of our employees about what our ethics are and what we're trying to achieve here. And we're definitely part of a community of technologists. Uh, we had the number one neuroscientist in the world, Dr. Carl Friston, join us from University College London. Uh, he wouldn't have done that if uh, he didn't believe that uh, we were doing the right thing for the right purposes. So um, it really is uh, a lot of around it but uh, nobody's perfect uh, we're going to make mistakes uh, but they won't be intentional mistakes hopefully uh, hopefully we've got enough uh, uh, conscious people on the team and also uh, uh, around us that um, uh, we'll be able to ferret out uh, the uh, any fundamental uh, errors or correct them quickly if they uh, we find them well, and it sounds like the um, the the whole entire protocol itself has guardrails in place to where like the mistakes won't be astronomical. They won't be, you know, super detrimental. They'll just be learning, uh, you know, <laughs> things to learn from and evolve. One hundred percent. I mean, the funny a funny story the other day, I mean, Google launched uh, uh, their uh, Bard uh, 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 AI and um, to compete with uh, OpenAI's uh, system, uh, ChatGPT. And uh, somebody asked uh, the Bard uh, system, uh, well, what do you think about the Justice Department and uh, Google and their uh, discussions on monopolistic behavior and uh, whether Google should uh, be broken up? And the AI comes out and says, Google should absolutely be broken up. <laughs> so so <laughs> <laughs> Google's own AI. It was hilarious. <laughs> so. So again, uh, the AIs that, that we're building now are really just kind of wild west uh, things that you know, can make, we call it hallucinating. They can even make stories up and, and make perfect sense out of them. But uh, I think having a bottom-up approach where individuals are taking responsibility for the data they're putting into their yeah. uh, agents uh, helps to solve a lot of that. So I do think there is a, a bit of an immune system and a bit of protection against uh, uh, you know really bad bad, bad, big decisions from some giant thing that only a big corporate, that's the other thing, only a big corporation can build a giant 200 billion parameter AI. I mean, you know, you and I can't build it, you know, and right. so uh, having the bottom up allows everybody in the world to participate, you know, and I think yeah. that's a big protection right there. All cultures, all languages, uh, the AI speak over a hundred languages already. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, that's that's really what we want. Um, you know, uh, sometimes uh, uh, people ask me, well, what do you think about the advancement of technology? I go, well, we're the product of 4 billion years of evolution. We have the whole fossil record. We see how life has evolved and it keeps getting smarter and more capable over time. Yeah. Do you think that evolution has stopped with us? No, no, it's going right through our fingers, right onto the keyboards and right into the code. So um, the code, we're writing code that is evolutionary over other code, but we're also, we've written code that has the mathematics that it learns to evolve itself. So we've baked evolution into the code. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. Well, Dan, 
It, as always, it is such a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you so much for taking the time out today to be on our show. And um, I'm so excited to see what's coming. Uh, you, you've mapped out this incredible future. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they get really kind of intimidated by technology. I've always welcomed it. You know, to me, I feel lucky to be alive right now. And, um, you know, people like you really reinforce that for me. Well, I mean, obviously, if you're a human on this planet, I mean, <clears throat> there's no escape from technology. So it's a, a fact of life, like air. And so the question is, uh, uh, do you let somebody else do it? Or do you step in and really bring your A game and try to do something uh, extraordinary? And so it isn't even pro or anti-technology. It's just that this stuff is burgeoning up. Yeah. So get the best people you possibly can and do the best thing with it, that becomes then the model of how to go forward. Otherwise, you're just sitting back and kind of hoping that, that it all turns out okay. You know? Yeah. And I have always loved your ethos in that in that way. And I really appreciate you and others like you that are that are in this and doing the right thing. And you you have this vision for humanity that is just, you know, it I think it's what we all want. So um, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. And thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. It was a really awesome conversation. Uh, and your knowledge of this uh, field is really great. So um, really very enjoyable uh, to talk with you about it all. Thank you so much, Dan. So thank you so much for being here with us again today. Uh, this was an awesome interview. Uh, many thanks to Dan Mapes and the Versus AI team. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the spatial web and uh, the future of AI, um, you can visit the Versus blog at versus.ai. You can visit the spatialwebfoundation.org. And you can visit my blog, uh, spatialwebai.com. Um, all of the articles that I've written on my blog uh, if you don't have time to read them, you can let me read them for you. <laughs> so uh, you can multitask and listen and still stay up to speed with all of this awesome information uh, with what's coming. It's a pretty awesome future ahead, uh, and I hope you enjoy the ride.